This is an episode about, wait, what was it again? It, it was like right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> We've all been there before, haven't we? That's why we're here today at the GLG to talk about retrieval practices on this episode. If you've ever asked students to pick back up where they left off and been met with blank stares, or wondered a few weeks into a new unit if students really even remembered the previous one, this is the episode for you. Here at the GLG, we're ready as usual and willing to discuss some strategies to help our kids and even ourselves retrieve this prior learning. Stick around. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. Surely, we're all familiar with the proverb about what happens when you teach someone to fish. But when we swap the idea of learning to fish with genuine ability to apply content in a school or outside of school setting, believe it or not, that same principle applies. You teach someone content and they very well may forget it and are likely to forget it in an hour. Teach a student retrieval practices, though, and that learning will stick. By familiarizing our learners with retrieval practices, we empower them to access prior learning in ways that allow them to deepen their understanding of whatever content we teach them and make connections to subsequent instruction. In this episode, our intention is to share various practical strategies educators can use to embed the teaching of retrieval practices into their instructional repertoire, transcend recall, and boost student learning. All right, team. So we are back from our little visit to the pop culture winter wonderland and short formats. And we are now working with full regular season and content again. So this will be fun. Second semester. Yeah, second semester of GLG and life. All right. Well, let's enjoy that. Okay. So Casey, as you often do, would you mind doing a quick introduction of what we're working with today? Absolutely. Now, I think before we even get there, I want to just give credit where credit is due. While this individual did not invent retrieval practices. This individual did put this on the forefront of our GLG minds last year, and we've just finally gotten around to dedicating an episode to it. So Kim Darche, we've had her on our podcast before, presented about retrieval practices, and I've actually brought her a number of times to talk to districts that I work with. And really, retrieval practice is about giving learners the time, space, and strategies to reflect on what they know and recall that information so that it can be used in those higher order thinking concepts. So sometimes when we think of recall, it can kind of be a dirty word in that it lives in lower DOK1, right? But truly, research tells us that students have to have that solid understanding of identify and define in order to build to more strategic and extended thinking. So retrieval practice is simply that. They have an impact on student learning because it gives students a time to reflect on what they already know. Yeah. And Casey, one of the keywords that you said there, too, is reflect. And that's a piece Mm -hmm. of this. And we'll get into that in more detail as we get going. But that's one of those words that we like as teachers anyway, because we see the value of it when we put it all together in that way, it really grounds it in solid instructional practices that we're always going for as instructors. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go a little deeper on why retrieval practices work for learners. 
Yeah, I mean, it taps into the concept or the adage, the truism. I'm not sure, oh, goddess of wordsmithing, Emily Copeland, which one is more appropriate here? But, either applies. <laughs> <laughs> but the adage, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of research done. And during her initial talk, Kim Darche references Herman Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve. We know this as educational practitioners, as teachers. Kids have a super low attention span. Usually it's synonymous to their age in years. So after about 20 minutes of learning, the percentage of what a student is able to remember after direct instruction or even after they're reading something drops to over 50%, just over 50%. They can't remember what happened 20 minutes before. After 30 days, that drops even more to below 25%. That's really sobering. And I just like to add, even from my language background as a Spanish teacher and someone who speaks multiple languages, it is so true that adage of use it or lose it. And that's something that I have to consistently do when I'm not currently in the Spanish classroom as much. And also at home, we primarily speak English. In order for me to keep my Spanish language up to par, I have to keep using it. I have to have the comprehensible input I'm listening to frequently because it does, my vocabulary starts to drop. And then my understanding of the grammatical structures, I don't, the words don't come to me as quickly. So it really falls into language in general as well. Absolutely. And from the neurodiversity corner, I'm looking at these percentages and these thinking of these as being average. But when you think of, uh, you know, many of our students who are struggling with ADHD or, you know, inattentiveness, just some of those recall abilities will drop even more. It can be really difficult. I've often struggled with basic recall myself. Mm-hmm. So this is really meaningful to those of us that might be working with students who struggle in these areas. Yeah. And I think too, Two, the other reason I share this information is think about as an educator, the structure of your unit, right? Typically unit structures are roughly six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not building in that opportunity before that assessment, and not just the pop quiz, but low stakes opportunities for kids to pause recall and remember and retrieve the information that they have encoded into their brains, by the time you get to that assessment, the kids have lost upwards of 25% of that information. And that's not what we want. Then the assessment isn't doing what it's specifically geared to do. It's true. I mean, we're really lucky that in a lot of ways, maybe not all the time, but in a lot of ways, the science and understanding of good instruction, real learning has moved on from teachers just putting content into kids' heads. But I really Mm -hmm. like that this really gets into the idea of true learning and the ability to move on to deeper learning happening after students have to do something with the learning that's in their head, uh, take the learning out of their heads, so to speak. I don't really tried to make that not sound like zombie movies, but I Yeah, totally. It is a value and something in all of the efforts that we do even here of just connecting the dots, connecting information. And we'll talk a lot about those strategies coming up here. But that connection needs to be ongoing and intentional. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we wonder if a cost to benefit ratio is worth it. It is. It really Mm -hmm. is. And it does take a little bit more intentionality and thought to get that consistently a part of your practice as you're planning and putting it into not just Mm -hmm. content, but what's the brain science in practices that I'm also including into the lesson design that's really going to help you also be efficient in what you do. And then there's less time needed for things like a study session right before let's cram all this information again because we don't remember it, right? 
I'm really glad you brought up science, Jenny, because I do think we need to touch on the brain science aspect of it a little bit. Well, and from that science perspective, and again, it's very basic here, but it's important for us as practitioners to understand the three parts of memory. When we want students to be able to apply what they've learned in new and novel situations, we have to have an understanding of how memory works. So really memory, we want to think of it in three parts. First is encoding. How does the information get into to a student's mind or someone's mind for processing. How are they viewing the world? Is it multi-sensory? Can we design ways to make it multi-sensory? We've talked about that here on our podcast when we talked about sketchnoting. Adding visuals allows for multimodal experience to happen, which allows something to sink more concretely. Story is another part of that encoding process. Then storage, where does it hang out in the student's minds? How does it eventually stick into the way brains are working? And I'm giggling because as we're recording, I'm like touching my head here like Professor Xavier from the X. (laughs) That's what I think of. Whole brain teaching gives us a chance to tie it into storage and where it lives. And then the final part to memory is the physical act of retrieval. When the time comes, am I as a person able to unpack that, pull that out of my brain and apply it where I need it. So it's it's important for us to understand all of those pieces and find ways that we can make that organically a part of our instruction. So before we get into talking about how we fully integrate this by way of some strategies, let's just talk some basic hacks, some things to consider. And I actually had one that popped in my head right away. And it was this idea of having it be low to no stakes. So just to be clear, we do not assess students. Like you mentioned the pop quiz earlier, we do not Mm -hmm. assess students on retrieval practices. This is going to, like you said, both put an assessment in that lower level of DOK, which you already don't want to do. And I'm guessing you've probably got a better scientific grasp on this, Casey, than I do. But from my experience and from just my experience teaching students too, it's interruptive to the process of this, the zombie thing about taking things out of their heads or their brains. Like that process is interrupted by that pressure of being assessed on doing it. It diverts the focus, right? If I, as a student, am now being tasked with completing this assessment for 10, 15 points, I'm not really focusing on the metacognitive process of, okay, I have to pause here. What do I know about this particular topic? What do I remember about this particular topic? Instead, I'm worried about the grade. And that's Mm -hmm. really not what we want learning to be focused on in an ideal state. You know, I'm learning for the sake of learning so I can apply and grow as a thinker, not I want to get the grade. I'd like to touch even back to one of our previous episodes with restorative practices. And when we talk about our self-efficacy and how we're, if our brain is in that fight or flight mode, it's hard to get to the higher taxonomy levels of learning. And so as soon as we start putting stakes to things, that's where it's going to be hard to be able to access those pieces of the working memory to be able to retrieve the information you need because you're in survival mode rather than thriving mode. But just because it's low stakes doesn't mean that it should be easy. There needs to be some productive struggle, right? Absolutely. Right. Exactly. I was recently, slight story time, but I'll segue to it, I promise. I was in a classroom the other day and students were learning a new concept. 
And while watching the students learn this new concept, I noticed one particular student was really struggling with understanding and unpacking that new concept. And she started to break down. Many of the students are not used to that sense of struggle, like, oh, this is mentally hard. And so retrieval practice, giving them time and space to practice pulling information out, it's a hard thing to do, but it empowers the students to get better at that productive struggle later. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you guys even pushed back on that a little bit because it's important to define and delineate the difference between not being able to access those higher taxonomy levels because we're in a survival mode versus that struggle that Mm -hmm. we do need. That brings me back to in the classroom with students in blended learning practices. We talked about this in our blended learning episode as well, especially when students have learned how to play school and have been able to memorize or have things that don't require the depth of learning that we hope Mm -hmm. for them to get with the productive struggle, they go through the seven stages of student grief. And so being Mm -hmm. able to understand and articulate that and point that out to them helps them through those stages of grief more quickly Mm -hmm. so that they can then have the awareness, the self-awareness of, hey, I'm in productive struggle right now. This is okay. This is not not a problem. Well, and I think too, the more often you engage in that productive struggle practice has a twofold effect. It's not as taxing on the brain because I'm not having to dig that Mm -hmm. far back into, to quote Sherlock, my mind palace to get the information (laughs) that I need. But I'm also building that understanding over the course of time. So engaging in a retrieval practice is not something you want to do necessarily like once every two weeks or once every week. It's something that you want to bring in as a regular daily, if ideally, multiple times a week at minimum so that kids have a chance to build that mind palace strong with the information that they're learning. You know, a good analogy for this is we're recording this in January, although it's going to be queued up and launched out for all of you listening much later than now. We're thinking in January, right? This is the beginning of a new season, a new stage of you hear a lot about what's my word for the year or you hear a lot about Mm -hmm. what is going to be Mm -hmm. my New Year's resolution. And then oftentimes people fall back on those or fall off the wagon, so to speak, right? And then you hear you hear about, okay, well, why wasn't I able to keep that habit? And this even goes back to our sustainable change as well. It's that spacing that helps that you're talking about, Casey, that helps it become more of a habit and less of a one time or a two time thing that, oh, it just didn't work. And then we we give up on it, right? Yeah. And I think a lot about what you said about accessing language too, like just having the cumulative nature Mm -hmm. of like developing a vocabulary to talk about something, whatever that thing is, not necessarily a language, but like how you're able to draw on things you learned earlier if you're using them often that use it or lose it comes to mind I used to teach my eighth graders when I first began teaching Greek and Latin vocabulary stem words and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of retrieval practice that went into those because you have to be able to not just remember those stems and what they mean but use them when you come to them in different words and if you're not recalling Mm -hmm. them you can't use them so we had to really engage in these practices a lot oh my gosh it's so true I'm even thinking back to when I was it depends on which language I'm using more when I'm using more of my Spanish my my English vocabulary drops. It's amazing. Like, And Emily, you are, when we used to sit side by side at our desks, I was always like, you're like my walking Rolodex or dictionary to help me like get my vocabulary up so that I'm hearing more of that vocabulary in order to access that information when I'm ready for those words or being able to, that's the comprehensible input you need in order to fuel that speech motor. Same concept. Mm-hmm. 
So another hack that I want us to kind of segue into here is a relatively new concept, I think, for the three of us when we heard it, but we know it by different names. We've heard of cross-curricular units. We've talked about on here how oftentimes our instruction, especially at the secondary level, is very much departmentalized and siloed. Another hack is to interleave or weave together multiple concepts at the same time for students to pull out of their brains at that same time. Because that allows the brain to really work harder about pulling those things and threading those connections together. One content area that has the opportunity to do this really, really well is math. So math is foundationally solid. It all builds off of each other. If a student doesn't have an understanding of what a negative means and what that looks like when they start pulling down and doing distributive properties, it's not going to make sense. So when you are interleaving and weaving concepts that are similar or asking students to pull similar information together, it actually allows you to streamline the retrieval process because you're doing more with less practice, if that makes sense sense. So that's another way to get more bang for your buck. Do multiple things intentional, but well, at the same time to build that retrieval opportunity. Casey, as you're talking about this, and maybe you can even say if this would fall under this category or not, but I'm thinking of even just school improvement plans. So when you have a school Mm -hmm. improvement plan that you have, especially at the secondary level, going back to that siloed nature of departments, when you have similar goals on skills that you're helping your student body get Mm -hmm. better at, because the data has showed that across the board, this is something that our students are needing access to, whether that content is in math or whether it's in the science classroom, but we're working on those skills together. That's also going to help in the same way if I'm understanding it correctly, right? Yep. Because those skills are exactly. being spread out and dispersed amongst the interdisciplinary nature of your SIP process. Absolutely. If we're talking about interleaving as a concept, absolutely. And then the final hack that comes to mind would actually, once again, we've gotten a lot of kickbacks to previous episodes here, but uh, (laughs) I think about the metacognition episode that we did earlier and the idea of going through the process of how do I remember something. So again, I've mentioned that I struggle with this sometimes, basic recall, but learning about what your brain does and how your brain thinks and how you typically or best recall information is a part of the process in terms of learning how to do retrieval. And knowing what works best for you. Like in our pre-show conversation, Jenny, I succinctly remember you saying, oh, I have to write it down. I have to write these things down. (laughs) And that's because that's a process that works for you. Other students or other learners may need to draw or kind of sketch out what their plan is going to be or what's going to work to help you get the information that you need in order to move forward in whatever you're planning. So knowing not only what tools are available, but what tools work best for you as a thinker and a learner. Yeah, I'd even like to extrapolate even more on that. It isn't necessarily, although it is, that I need to write it down, but what writing it down allowed me to do, at least in this instance. And there's other ways that I do retrieval practices, but for the particular topic that, Casey, you're referencing, I needed to make more room in my head for other things that I wanted to either think about or remember, as you'll see in a little bit. So I wanted to write those down so that I could take those out of my mind for the moment and compartmentalize them so I could think beyond them. So that was another reason why I did it in that way. You were organizing your mind palace before we had to shuffle some things around. I love it. (laughs) Yep. 
Yep. All right. So that pretty much covers hacks. Now let's really dig in on some strategies here. Yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road. We're doing as instructional practitioners retrieval practice often. When we have students do turn-in talks, when we have them do exit slips, those are examples of probably retrieval practices that you didn't know were called this fancy word. However, we want to be as intentional as we can and have more tools in the toolbox. So a common initial strategy that people think of when retrieving really those DOK1 concepts is flashcards, where we give kids or kids make their own word on one side and then the definition on the back. Would it be wrong for me to gag right now as a Spanish teacher? No, it would not. Flashcards were ones I never, I would even tell my students, don't go that route. Exactly, because it's out of context. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes our world is not built anymore on the fact that you have to memorize facts and definitions like that. So I would caution folks away from engaging in a standard flashcard practice, but instead level it up by asking students and encouraging them to include multimodal pieces of information on those cards. For example, requiring or including an explanation. Why do you think that? Or tell me more. Including pictures or engaging in hexagonal thinking by making connections. Have you guys done hexagonal thinking practice before? You know what? I observed someone in it and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And what did you see? What do you remember? What you would see is students using the sides of the hexagon to connect ideas to other ideas, and then they become arranged throughout the classroom or the surface that the kids are using to take the connections in the direction that the students see them happening in. So it's not us saying these are how these things relate to each other. And because those hexagons have multiple sides, you can create room for multiple connections to be made. And I think that's why teachers like the teacher I was watching get so excited about that is because the kids Mm -hmm. are kind of in control of what and how the connections are made. I mean, that example, that practice, that strategy of using hexagons and joining similar things and giving kids space to explain, here's why this connects with this, is an example of interleaving, right? Because Mm -hmm. kids are having to build off multiple ideas at the same time to build those connections. And I love the fact that it isn't just one right or wrong answer. It also illustrates not only to each and every one of us as instructors, but especially our students, that there are many ways to think about the world. And all All of this that we're talking about seems very vocabulary driven in this particular strategy, but I'd even like to draw reference to the math lens when we think of helping our students be mathematical thinkers. If we're consistently Mm -hmm. trying to, again, may not be flashcards, but think about it. Like if you are teaching math and you're teaching the times tables or let's memorize math facts and the naked numbers, what does that then mean for students that are trying to think like mathematicians with multiple right answers, with multiple ways? to do a particular problem as well. And so the more we expand thinking in those ways through these strategies rather than the one right, one wrong answer from the flashcard concept. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, We could probably nerd out on this one for a while. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So another strategy would be a dice game. So I saw an example of this float around on Twitter last year, and you could find them if you kind of Google retrieval dice game. But each side of a six-sided dice would be a question or a concept or a challenge that students who roll that number would have to do or engage in retrieval for. So one example, if a student rolls a three, they have to tell you three things or write down three things they remember. 
number about what they've learned this week. Or a number two, you have two minutes to create a question that ties multiple ideas, vocabulary words, concepts of the unit so far. Or give the teacher a question, if they rolled a four, for example, give the teacher a question that you think would really challenge the class on their upcoming assessment. So it gives a little bit of novelty to the retrieval practice because you don't know what you're going to get. And most of them can be done in two to three minutes or at the start of the bell ringer. It can be done in groups. So that's another great strategy for engaging in the practice. And it's just awesome. Like, I'm sorry, it's just fun. It feels like a game. Mm -hmm. Another thing, we want to try to make things as active as we can. So oftentimes I'm going to out myself here. Whenever my students and I would review for an assessment, I would call it story time. And looking back, I cringe where I would sit on my stool and I would have a copy of the assessment. And then I would tell the students, oh, it would be really important if you knew this as I'm looking at the assessment. It's horrible. And still they wouldn't do well. And here's why. They weren't doing the thinking in that case. Mm -hmm. They were passive consumers mm -hmm. of that information. So if we can get students to, in groups, generate their own study guides, share them with each other, think about how they can challenge one another's thinking, that's you also leveling up that retrieval because they have to retrieve it in order to make it and then retrieve it again when they have to complete it from something their peers have written. And oftentimes, kids come up with more challenging questions than what you would have found on the assessment anyway. Anyway, and I can't help but possibly try and plug even thinking outside of the traditional study guide, which Casey, you weren't suggesting there, but I just wanted to add a yes and. What kind of technology is out there to help students collaborate in that sense? There's so many cool things, whether you are you're an iPad district or not. By utilizing all of the technology resources that we have at our fingertips too, we're also ticking the boxes there because there's so many ways for students to be retrieving this information and sharing it with one another when we leverage the technology that's at their fingertips as well. Yes. And regardless to whether you're using technology or not, that idea of having students do it collaboratively, not always engage in individual retrieval practice, but retrieval practice happening in a collaborative form, I think has a particular power to it. And then the last strategy, again, you can find multiple examples of these online if you want to do your own research or engage in this more, is generating using the student questions bonus points if you do that, is a challenge grid where you have a list of important concepts, important skills, key vocabulary. Students have to identify, explain, list their understanding, and then you can also color code them based on when that information was shared during instruction, and that gives kids more chances to really dig deep and dig further into their mind palaces to pull that information out. Well, yeah, and there's that metacognitive piece where they're building that awareness yep. of how far they're digging into their own personal brain Google or whatever to, <laughs> to get that information, right? You called it brain palace. I call it brain Google. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, choose whichever one you like, listeners. Exactly. I actually have a bit of a question about retrieval practices, and that is like, where do like mnemonic devices and or setting your thoughts to music, like where does that sort of practice fit in the mix? So I think part of that ties into twofold, ties into the science behind retrieval and also metacognition. What's the best way for me to remember that thing? And if you can use mnemonics, if they work for you or use music, I know that's one of the ways we got my five-year-old to remember his phone number is putting it to the Empire Carpet song. Ah, 
I mean, so it, anyone in Chicagoland could sing that song right now with the right numbers. <laughs> so I think all of that is a part of it. I'm not a brain scientist, but my guess would be also it helps with the storage space. So you're able to remember things in a more compact, concise way. So it's easier to pull out. That's how I would answer it. Again, I don't know. Maybe there's some brain yeah. scientists out there that could. Well, it's part of the encoding process, I think. Like getting the information in, I'm more likely to tap into multiple sides of my brain at the same time because I'm tapping into the musical part, which is one part of my brain, and the content part, which is the other side. So you're. Oh, you're there's just a lot happening in there. Yes. There's a lot happening in there in general, especially as <laughs> three working moms. <laughs> but it's good to have these practices to depend on, is it not? Mm-hmm, it is. Um. All right, so that was a nice little run-through retrieval practices, but now that we have done that, I think it is game time. Yes. All right, so we're going to engage in a brain dump right now. So this is another retrieval practice exercise where you give students a finite amount of time. So in two minutes, we're going to brain dump. Tell me anything that you can think of or remember about this particular topic. That's an actual practice. So our practice, again, we're going to give each other about a minute to brain dump the following. What can we remember about previous episodes? Before you start, Casey, before you say them out loud, I also like to encourage the eight listeners out there. I don't know. That's a random number I just came up with. The eight listeners out there that have actually listened to all of our episodes through, because there's probably, what, eight of you out there that have listened to them all the way through. And you can play along with us and see how many you're able to retrieve from your memory as well. See how you stack And up. if you're not in those groups, you might learn something interesting or funny that happened on a previous one. So feel free to go back and take a look. Hey, hey. Okay, so I'll pause right before to give any of our folks a chance to feel free to pause the episode. <laughs> so the first concept is in our Game of Thrones episode game, we all discussed and shared how we see each other dying on Game <laughs> of Thrones. That was one Which of our game darkest of games. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my favorite though. This is funny. (laughs) So how did we die on Game of Thrones? Mm -hmm. Next, what cars did we attribute to each other in a game? I think it was in the PLC Traffic Jam. And then what music-themed episodes have we had in our pop culture playground or Winter Wonderland? I'm feeling lucky, guys. All right, let's go. How much time do we have? We have one minute. Listeners, we're not going to make you wait a whole minute. Yeah, we'll be back in one second for you. Oof, no spoilers, but one of these was really hard for me. Yeah, I think one of them was harder than I anticipated as well. But one thing I did notice, having time. I had my initial brain dump, and then there was some space, and then I was like, I think I remember another one. So giving ample time for that productive struggle to happen is another one of those hacks we had mentioned earlier. So you want to give as much time as you can without focus being redirected elsewhere. Yeah, we often focus so much on speed. Speaking as someone Mm -hmm. who doesn't excel in the speedy thinking. (laughs) Yes. Not to be too nerdy, but I really like this as a game for us because people are going to watch us do it and get some little (laughs) tips about what might work for them. Exactly. Exactly. So for our first brain dump category we have how we said we would die on game of thrones so how are you i telling... remember Sorry four to interrupt. i remember four okay five. Oh, has got five i think if i'm right about them i have four okay so emily let's start with yours 
because you have an additional. Okay. Do I need to say why I remembered them or do I just need to no. say like what? Okay. No. I remembered that Jenny threw me out the moon door. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I remember that she made you die like Cersei. Totally. Which was a whole thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, I remember who I picked for you guys. I had you, Casey, went out like Liana Mormont. And um, oh. Jenny went out like Egret. And yep. then you had me die in the Clegane Bowl, but I cannot remember how you killed Jenny. I was Candle Clegane. How I, I went out in either. flames killing the there bad was guy. Somebody... I was happy about it. <laughs> I couldn't remember who did the Arya Stark with the ice dragon. Is that how you killed me? I remember that was one of them. I just don't I remember don't who died. <laughs> no, Liana Mormont was the dragon, right? No, she she shanked a giant through the eyeball. Oh, white okay. giant. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I that must have been me then for how you died. Because I remember the the hound in the mountain was Emily. Mm-hmm. And then I remember those other ones too. But we the got one I forgot together. was the Lannister one. Yes, we, we got them all together. Which also is why you want to do retrieval practice in groups. Because you remember more collectively than you do on your own. And it's Ooh. more like real life. I mean, how often right. do you not collaborate? Right. So, yeah. Right. That said, I don't think I'm going to do nearly as well on any of these other ones. Yeah, there were some sticky, sticky memories on the how you die. I mean, you, how, it's hard to forget those. Like we said, yeah. that was a pretty memorable game. <laughs> exactly. All right. What's next? Okay. Cars. I remember three. I have four. Ooh. Which one is 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 semi? Fuzzy. Semi. Okay, Jenny. Uh, I see what you did there. (laughs) Semi was not one of them. Yeah, I have four. I technically had two as well, but one I think is a possible. So, Jenny, which ones do you have? So, I cannot forget the time you called me a PT cruiser because those cars (laughs) suck. Yep. (laughs) But I gave it right back at you with you were an RV. The Winnebago, yeah. Yeah. And then Emily said that I was like a self-driving vehicle, which was, was a lot more okay. forgiving. And then I thought Emily was like an eco-friendly car. Those are the four I could remember. Okay. I do not say she is wrong because I had station wagon, but question mark. But it could have just been, I'm terrible at naming cars. So, but definitely had PT Cruiser and Winnebago. So, Yeah, that's so literally all I wrote that. down. Uh, however, I don't know if I get a, a half a point for actually remembering that I used the term she-t cruiser in that because I wrote that down. It literally says that. Yep. Uh, and I also wrote, was Casey an RV? Question mark. So, yeah, I don't even know if I get full points there. Oh, I went okay. around. Look at that. Yeah, look at Yay. you, Jenny. Hey. I'll take it when I can get it. All right. Okay. And then the last one is music themed episodes. I got three. I had three as well, but I feel like one maybe didn't follow my rules. I have three and one didn't follow the rules as well, Casey. Okay. Okay. So I am. You go first since Emily and I. I will go first. Yeah. I will go through them in order of appearance. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So points. the very first one is the one that I have that did not follow the rules, which is the Britney's. I can't remember if it was self-care circus. Apathy no. zone. Apathy yeah. zone. Apathy, Apathy zone. zone. Oh, so but Britney. one, I will say out of probably all of our recorded episodes, that might be my top. I can't, I don't know if I can pick a favorite, but that might be my favorite. It was the most fun to record. It was the most fun to edit. It's the most fun to listen back to. It was good. Prep for. Yeah. Yeah. Prep. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. We for sure prepped well for that Britney episode. Then we had Queen in our first pop culture playground. You betcha. And then this summer we had Lizzo. (gasps) I forgot about Lizzo. I didn't put that one down. You have a different one? I have two. Do you tell? I have have one for sure that I I think we should count it. And that's Encanto because we did all music oh, for those six connections. Dang, each one of those songs. Okay. Although they have seven songs technically, right, Emily? Not six. Yeah, we but forgot yeah, Waiting on a Miracle. So that was one of my and retrieval then, practice problems. This is the one I thought didn't count. I thought Britney counted. I thought Britney okay. counted. I think so too. But I, I one this one doesn't count, but I had to put it because the cowbell we did with the SNL episode. <laughs> it wasn't the whole theme, but we talked all, at length about the cowbells. So I think Casey and I even had quite the tiff over how to approach that connection yes (laughs) i remember pulling about that one so i understand our connections were music but encanto technically was the movie but i understand i understand the reason i said britney was not was because i specifically said in the instructions pop culture Winter Wonderland or Playgrounds. That's why I thought it did. Oh, I didn't hear fit. those. I didn't hear those rules. I, just I didn't either. Yeah. Themed episodes. Right. Yeah, so I, I put Brittany down too for that reason. So I put down okay. Queen, Brittany, and Lizzo. Just I totally like for- How did I forget about Lizzo? I mean. Can't forget about Lizzo. Come <laughs> can't on. forget about Lizzo. <laughs> if that's the case, if we count those ones that Jenny mentioned, she does win. Did I just win a game? Over. You did. Did I just win a game? Done. It might be a first ever. Might be a first ever. What do I win, guys? You win the ability to remodel your mind palace slash mind Google. Make it look like an RV. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Better than the PT Cruiser. Okay, thanks for joining us for that. And just to give you a little bit of a peek on what's to follow in the second half of our third season of the Grounded Learners Guild, we've got some cool upcoming episodes that we're excited to share. So one is about a topic that I'm sure a lot of people have thought about, and it's about having candid conversations, difficult conversations with people in workplaces, particularly for leadership. So looking forward to diving in on that one. And then we're actually going to do some episodes designed for parents, a little bit of a parent university mini series. So please stick around with Grounded Learners Guild for those. Can't wait to share. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, The power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.